Thank you. I um, had the privilege of uh, previewing that song about 12 times over the last two weeks. They practice right over my office. <clears throat> I couldn't wait to hear it firsthand, to be honest with you, because I, I can only hear it so much. You know what I mean? It's like it's kind of muffled, and I'm like, I think I might know that song, you know? Boy, I'll tell you what, I enjoyed that. That was good. It's a lot better when you can actually hear it good, you know what I mean? So anyway, nonetheless, that was good stuff. We appreciate that. Take your Bible tonight. We're going to kind of go a different direction. We have been dealing with sin over on the Wednesday nights, and we've been doing that for a couple of months now at least, about three or four maybe, I don't know. But um, tonight I just want to touch on a subject, Galatians chapter 4, if you would. Galatians chapter 4, I'm going to uh, discuss this over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be leaving on vacation here shortly, and I don't want to kind of split up a new series that I'm going to begin. And I will be beginning another series on Wednesday night, but the series is going to be on money and possessions, okay? Just our attitude and our outlook concerning finances and different things like that, how we're to view possessions and money and things like that in light of the world we live in and future and eternity and all of that. So we'll look forward to that. I'm excited about that. 
It'll be a good study, I imagine, and I think it'll be profitable. <clears throat> good word for that one, right? Profitable. But anyway, we'll be uh, doing that. Some of you are still asleep, right? All right. <clears throat> but today I want to talk to you about something. I'm going to mention a subject. I've had a, a message kind of outlined or something, you know, kind of a, a thought outlined for a long time. Not necessarily outlined, I guess, but just um, on my mind. And um, it was one of those things, you know how you do, you write it out and then you kind of set it aside. And, and, and so it's probably been about a year and a half, two years now. And so here it is, all right? And so we're going to discuss the topic, here it is now, when love is loathed. When love is loathed. All right, so let's go ahead and look at Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 8. Then we're going to read through verse 16. The Bible says, How be it then... When ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. You have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as, G- as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. I want to talk to you about when love is loathed. And an interesting passage here in the book of Galatians. A very powerful statement there in verse 16. And so I want to spend a little time over the next couple of Wednesdays addressing this issue. And before I do that, I want to set the stage then. I kind of want to outline or lay out the, the background here. And kind of how we got to the point where we find ourselves here in chapter 4. And so let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to go ahead and try to get the context of this and then kind of move forward, all right? So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time that we now have together in this place. Lord, you are our God, and we thank you so much for loving us and for giving of yourself to us and for us. Lord, we are needy, and Father, we are truly humble tonight recognizing, Lord, that we are nothing without you. You are our everything. Well, God, help us now, Lord, to recognize that always. And, Lord, tonight as we continue to delve into your word, dig into it, Lord, may we leave, Father, having learned something that will encourage us, having instructed us and even inspired us for your glory. We desperately need you now, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the reason I address this topic, and I want to discuss it a little bit, is because it becomes a problem in the ministry. It becomes a problem on behalf of pastors and the people that they serve, the people and the pastors that they follow. It's an issue. And so, before it's all said and done, I'm going to consider the context of the passage, and then we're going to look a little bit at three things that, that will cause a child of God, or cause a, 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 a basically, if you will, a, a believer to 
basically um, um, consider their pastor their enemy. And so I'm going to give you three times that the truth will cause you, will, will cause you to be... Uh, fi- well, let, me, let me just say it this way. I, I want to find it because I'm saying it wrong here in my mind. But when, when the truth does something, the truth will cause you to become... Man, I tell you what, let's just forget it and go right from the beginning, okay? You're just going to have to stick around over the next two weeks, all right? Because I can't possibly explain it because it's all just bumbled and jumbled here. We'll be all right, though. And if you say, boy, am I glad I'm here because I don't feel so stupid now because that pastor don't even know what he's talking about in the Bible. Okay, so that's good. Now, now that you're comfortable and every one of us are on the same level playing field here, let's get started again. Okay, so what happens is, is that when we talk about the passage, let me just go back and it says, therefore, am I become your enemy. How, do, how in the world does somebody become your enemy because they share the truth with you? It's because the truth has, is doing something. And I'm going to talk about that truth and what it's doing to cause someone to believe somehow that even maybe their pastor's their enemy. All right? And so we'll, we'll talk about that. I'll give you three reasons how that happens or why it happens. And, but then we're going to talk about seven things that you can do, seven things that a pastor can do about that. Okay, so anyway, there's a lot here. Who knows how long it'll take us? Maybe it'll be next year when we finish. I don't know. But either way, let's go ahead and get started. So what we find here is we got, we're in the book of Galatians again. And we have uh, the Apostle Paul, of course. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Galatia. And he's, he's making this statement. He's writing this uh, portion of Scripture to them. And in this passage, we see their paganism right off the bat. Verse 8. Right off the bat, we note that. It says, Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which, were by, nature are, which by nature are no gods. Now, <clears throat> prior to their conversion, we're told here then that the Galatians had served idols. It, uh, and, and of course, idols are no gods at all. Uh, you know what, you know, we, we kind of joke around about the, the idols of, of the past. We say, well, you know, you bow down to a wood idol. You bow down to a stone idol. You bow down to this and bow down to that. And we kind of almost like, that's ridiculous. That's stupid. That's foolhardy. That makes no sense at all to bow down to an idol, a piece of, of inanimate object, just something or, or something even that just sits there. You can hold it. You can carry it. You can pick it up. I, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to us, but we have our idols too. You know, we got our idols, and they're not so funny. You know, they're real in our lives. And although we may like to joke around about the idols of maybe these pagans here in the book of Galatia, but, uh, Galatians, but the fact is, is that we have our idols too. So before we get too crazy, let's not forget that maybe like the Galatians, some of us were saved out of idolatry too. And not only like the Galatians, some of us were in a culture of idol, idols as well. And we are today, truly are. And so these Galatians here, they served idols. And, and these idols were no gods at all, though. They absolutely were not. Uh, theirs was a life bound by pagan ritual. They were bound by pagan practices. They, they, those pagan practices demanded their allegiance, and they demanded their devotion. You know, it's an amazing thing when we become children of God and we ultimately kind of become part of the family of God in, in the sense that we're... We're, we're in the body of Christ, but then we join a church and we, we get plugged in and we start to recognize and realize that there's a level of commitment that's demanded and required. And sometimes people get a little bit fed up with that. Sometimes people are like, are you kidding me? I mean, I got a life to live. I got a family to feed. I got responsibilities. I got things to do. I mean, you can't honestly expect me to be that devoted, that, that in a, a, a loyal to a church and to, 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 to that kind of thing. That doesn't make sense. It's an amazing thing. You'll find that pagans are more loyal usually to their gods than we are to the God. It's a really a sad reality of life. 
I mean, you need only look at the Muslim faith and you recognize people that are willing to bow down five times a day and pray to their God, but we're unwilling to even get up in the morning and spend 10 minutes with him. So listen, I'm just saying that these were bound by this this aspect of paganism. They were bound by the, uh, the, the rituals and the practices. They came ultimately, though, to the glorious you know, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And I mean, they were miraculously saved out of paganism. They were saved out of their idolatry. Their souls were liberated. They were born again. The the, the sin that weighed them down and the sin that had caused them ultimately to, to, to be separated from God was washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that mundane, monotonous, ritualistic paganism and gods that they once served were now erased and eradicated out of their life. They reveled in the grace of God. They delighted in the freedom that they now possessed in Jesus Christ. And their salvation was one of grace and grace alone. They no longer needed to perform or produce or even prove themselves worthy of God's love. They didn't have to do that anymore. They had it. All by grace. They simply trusted and rested in Him now. They were placed in Christ and accepted in the family of God apart from their own works and apart from their effort. These Galatian believers were free indeed to Christ alone. And we note that over in the book of John when he says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. They were free indeed, all right. Their paganism. But we also note their peril in verses 9 through 11. Sadly, there were Jews who resented and despised the work that Paul was performing amongst the Gentiles. They were very, very jealous of him. They were not happy with him. These teachers of the law were well-versed in the Old Testament scriptures. They knew the Bible in and out. They obviously succeeded in deceiving the believers at Galatia. It was quite obvious from the passage that we read. And although the gospel was obtained by grace, through faith, these Gentiles were convinced to somehow submit to the very law that had once condemned them. Do you realize that the law condemns us? Do you understand that those rules and regulations that were in the Old Testament, that, that in the, the, even the, the, the Ten Commandments, point out the fact that we are not capable, unable to ever find favor with God and ultimately spend an eternity in heaven with Him? They simply condemn us. That's what they do. The goal is not for them to save us. It's to condemn us. It's to prove to us that we're in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. And these Galatians at one point had believed that and were free indeed. But now they found themselves being deceived and being ultimately drugged back into this aspect of rules and rites and religious ritual. They find themselves back in bondage. A bondage just as enslaving, just as unsatisfying as the bondage of paganism that they were rescued from. It would appear that the Galatians were taking up the Jewish religious calendar and somehow causing it to be kind of a guide to their own righteousness, a guide to godliness. We're going to keep this rule. We're going to keep this regulation. We're going to keep this feast day. We're going to keep that particular special uh, event. We're going to follow the rules and the regulations and we're going to go put ourselves under the law now. 
I mean, who would want to go back to the endless rules, rituals, and regulations in order to try to please God? Who wants to do that? I mean, who wants to follow an empty religion when they could have an amazing relationship with the God of all heaven? Why would you want to do that? Well, that's exactly what was going on with these particular Galatians. They had been saved by grace indeed, but now they found themselves being drugged back by these Judaizers and by these legalizers and saying, come back, you've got to be like us, the Jews. You've got to follow Christ as according to the Old Testament. And they found themselves back under the law. Paul's fearful for them. He's concerned about them when he considers the end of the course that they've now set. He expresses his disappointment by telling them that Honestly, guys, my efforts among you may have been wasted. Maybe all the time that I spent in your presence, all the time I spent opening and sharing the Word of God and expounding the truths of the Word of God with you are wasted. We note first their paganism, their peril. Note their protector, verse 12. Paul the Apostle now, it says there, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are, you have not injured me at all. Paul, in this particular case, he pleads with the saints at Galatia again here. He wasn't harboring resentment, he wasn't showing any animosity toward them at all. As a matter of fact, Paul understood and recognized the fact that these were very newborn babes in Christ. They're very immature in their belief and in their, their faith. I don't know how long exactly they'd been saved. I don't know how many months or years many of them have been saved, but most of them, many of them, I mean, new Christians, if you will. And he understood that they were very prone to being, um, I guess, um, to being impressed by the Judaizers and by these men that knew the Bible in and out, at least the Old Testament. New babes in Christ need to be protected from people that think they know what they're talking about, but don't. And Paul understood that. So Paul wasn't angry with them. Paul was brokenhearted. Paul was concerned. Paul had a heart that said, I don't want to see you go deeper into this pit that you can't recover from. I don't want you to go that direction and ultimately end up joyless. Bound again, where once you were and then you were free, now back in chains. Paul didn't want that to happen at all. So he goes on and he begs them to become as I am. And someone may say, oh, that's pretty arrogant. That's pretty self-promoting, you know, uh, be as I am. Who's the apostle Paul? He's supposed to be a man too. He puts his pants on like everybody else. Well, you, you got to understand what he's really expressing, what he's saying Paul's saying, listen, I'm free from the law now. I'm free from its rites and its rituals. I'm free from its rules and its requirements. I'm free from all the endless legalistical teachings and traditions of the rabbis. I'm no longer bound by the circumcision or Sabbath keeping or dietary laws. I'm not bound by any of that. Be as I am. 
See, this was Paul, the Hebrew of the Hebrews speaking. This was Paul, that zealous defender of Judaism who met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. This is this Paul. He's now pleading with them and he's saying, listen, be as I am. Be free from all of that mess. Free from the bondage of the law. Free from the expectations of man-made religion. Free indeed. Be as I am. Then we note their past. Verses 13 through 15. It says, you know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at first. And my temptation was, uh, which was in my flesh, you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. <laughs> Man, it's clear that Paul had an infirmity of sorts, an affliction, if you will. An affliction and an infirmity so troublesome that it caused him to cry out to God at some point. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 9 says, Paul the Apostle speaks, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly will I therefore glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So we see him crying out for relief there in 2 Corinthians. But here in our passage in Galatians, we see in 4 that it suggests, I mean certainly suggests, that whatever afflicted Paul physically at that particular time in his life could very possibly have been deemed repulsive in the eyes of these Galatian Believers. Now, at the time, they weren't believers. Whatever it was seems to have physically affected Paul in a way that when, when he met with them, when he spoke with them, when he tried to reach them with the gospel, it could have easily repulsed them. They could have said, man, that's ugly. Man, that's disgusting. I don't know if it was an eye that was wrecked or messed up. I don't know if there was another part of his body that was mangled or twisted. I'm not sure what it was, but the passage seems to indicate here in the book of Galatians that there was something about Paul that could have been repulsive to these people. Again, he says, And my temptation which was in my flesh ye despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as, the, as Christ Jesus. So they welcome him, I mean, with open arms even. The message that he proclaimed obviously took precedence over any physical infirmity that he might have possessed. And however unpleasant it may have been, it didn't matter to the Galatians at the time. Because all they could hear and all they could see was the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. And I mean, he had come to set them free. To make them free indeed. And they had received him as though he was a message from another world. What high regard they had for the apostle in those days. I mean, when they saw him and they recognized him in the streets, it was, hey, Paul, what's up, man? And you're the one that was preaching last night. I'm telling you what, you got a hold of my mom. You got a hold of my dad. Man, I'll tell you what, you made a difference in my life. God used you. Well, I'll tell you what, his name was wonderful in those days. They had tremendous regard for him. 
now the, the Galatians were about to trade their glorious freedom in Christ for a mess of pottage. You remember the story. Pottage that was connected, or should I say concocted for them, that was literally made up by these misguided Judaizers. We often talk about legalists, and many times the definition gets a little twisted. But indeed, these are legalists now being addressed here in the passage. These are Judaizers, those that want to bring those believers under the law again, want to force them back under the law to keep a set of rules and regulations and rituals to earn the favor of God. That is not what, what the gospel's about. The gospel's about freedom. The gospel's about Christ, a person. So Paul goes on to say, where is then the blessedness you spake of? I mean, how happy these people must have been at some point. They were thrilled beyond measure. They were no longer bound by the paganism. They were no longer bound by sin. They were free indeed to serve the living God now. But now here they find themselves again being called back into bondage. You can almost hear the Apostle Paul saying, What's happened to your joy in the Lord? That you've shackled yourselves all over again with chains of iron. The law being that iron. Then Paul makes a statement that truly puts their past into perspective. He says, For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Man, now that's big time, isn't it? First of all, the statement lends kind of credence to that belief that Paul at the time when he visited Galatia, was suffering from some disfigurement or form of eye disease. That's, that's a good possibility, isn't it? I mean, why in the world would they want to pluck their own eyes out for him? Maybe because they wanted to give him a good one? Might have been suffering from some other thing. I don't know. But like I said, it certainly seems like he may have had some kind of eye problem that was very evident. But notice it says, and notice how important this is, obviously they loved him very much. They loved him for the freedom and the joy that he had brought to them. They loved him for the gospel that they had preached, that he had preached and proclaimed. They loved him for the freedom that he had brought in their life. And Paul is reminding them of that. But no matter how much they've loved him in the past, no matter how much they cared, We read a very sad and disturbing verse now. Verse 16. He says, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? See, the Galatians were being deceived by false teachers. These false teachers were peddling a False doctrine that encouraged the keeping of the law but undermined grace. And Paul is correcting that error. Paul is pointing out to them that they are wrong for following these Judaizers. That they are wrong for allowing themselves, being free already, free indeed by Christ, to be placed under the law. 
to have to follow the ritual of the law. And so Paul's trying to deal with that error before it takes root, before it gets too deep. So his only intention really is, I guess, to rescue them from a fruitless future. From bondage and enslavement. See, their salvation wasn't in question here. But their, the joy of their salvation was. That was what was at stake. And that's what Paul cared about. That's what Paul was concerned about. He wanted them to experience the joy of the Lord. He wanted them to have what he had. Yes, they were saved already, but now they allowed themselves to fall into the prey of these Judaizers, these legalizers, and to say, you've got to do this and this and this and this to be saved and to live a life that pleases God. May I say something to you today? There are elements of of the Christian life that biblically are spelled out and very clear in our lives. We know that we're to be morally sound, and we know that we're to be living according to the Word of God, but the fact is is that there are a lot of man-made rules and regulations that religion has put on mankind through the years. And may I say, Jesus Christ came and he shattered it all. And he said, trust in me, believe in me, and live in me. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by him. I mean, who is this Apostle Paul? He's God's man. He's a spiritual father to some of these here in Galatia. He's been a friend, a counselor, and a guide to every one of them. He's invested in their lives and their families. He's influenced them for good. He's sacrificed hours of time, energy, and finances. He's prayed and he's dreamed on their behalf. This is who is asking the question. The Apostle Paul. How absurd, how puzzling, how unbelievable that he would be asking the question that he's asking in chapter 4, verse 16. I mean, I can't even imagine that. After everything that Paul has done to reach this people, after everything Paul has done to be a blessing to this people, after everything Paul has done to secure their future, he's asking a question in verse 16 that, simply blows my mind. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I don't know about you, but that bothers me. <clears throat> that, that, I don't get that. I mean, is this really happening? <laughs> and how can it be? Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I mean, I can only imagine the Apostle Paul standing before the people at some point. Okay, so maybe this is embellishing somewhat, but can I just kind of bring it to where we live? And him saying to him, I'm not changed. I've not changed my stand. I've not altered my preaching. I've not reversed my position. I mean, I've not moved from my place. I still preach the Bible. I still stand on the rock. I still maintain my integrity. I still reach out to the lost. I still have the same standards. I still proclaim the same message. I still love the people of God. I still give of myself and what I have. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I'm still the same person I've always been. 
I haven't changed. I haven't moved. I haven't drifted. I'm still the same person you fell in love with and supported all these years. I still possess the same personality. I still praise the same potentate. I still promote the same principles. I still am publicizing the same position. I'm I'm pursuing the same purpose. I'm pushing the same program. I'm, I'm patrolling the same path. I'm doing everything I've done before. I've always done it that way. So why the attitude, Galatians? Why the resentment? Why the anger? Why the bitterness? Why the betrayal? Why the condemnation? Why the harsh words, the false characterizations, the unprovoked attacks, and the disloyalty? Why? What is going on? How can that be? You'll notice I'm not the Apostle Paul. Because I don't know that Apostle Paul would have said it quite like I just did. Because obviously, he was much more gracious than maybe I might be. But may I say this? And let me just say this. He also was dealing with baby Christians. And if I could be honest with you, the ones who struggle most with this issue in the church today are not normally babies. They think they're mature. And that's a sad reality today. So Paul is left with only one response to the Galatians. He says, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? So what are we to learn? Well, the truth may make you free, but the truth can also, make you, can also fuel resentment in your life. It can fuel hatred and it can fuel bitterness if you don't receive it gladly. How you receive truth determines how you see authority in your life. Whether it's a young person in a home with a parent who's sharing a need in their life or telling them they're doing something wrong or that they need to correct something, or whether it's a church member that's on the wrong path or has failed to live up to their own personal ideal. And so what might cause you to view the man of God as your enemy? Well, the man of God becomes your enemy when, number one, when the truth confronts. When the truth confronts. Number two, the man of God becomes your enemy when the truth convicts. And number three, the man of God becomes your enemy, potentially, when the truth condemns. Now, because of time, I'm not going to be able to go into those. And I'm going to talk about them the next time we get together. But I think it's very important to realize that no matter how godly we believe ourselves to be, we are prone to this kind of behavior. And I'll tell you why, and you probably will already know why, It's a five-letter word that starts with a P. And it is rooted in a person. 
who ultimately, originally I should say, transgressed God. His name's Lucifer. It's his pride, and it's our pride that causes this. It's always pride. How in the world can truth cause someone to be angry with another person? How can it cause someone, how can, uh, how can a child consider his parents the enemy because they tell him the truth? It's pride. It's pride. How can a husband whose wife lovingly comes and says, listen, I just want to bring this to your attention and points out a deficiency in a life or possibly an area of weakness and, and the husband instead turns and says, oh yeah, you're always picking on me. It's always about you. And the wife becomes the enemy. How's that possible when they shared only truth? I mean, it happens all the time. And I just want to encourage you to keep in mind when you hear truth sometime and someone shares the truth with you, ask yourself a question. If I'm upset right now, am I upset with the person or am I really just upset with the truth? Is it the truth, really, that's upsetting me or is it the person? And don't go to that, that area. Well, I just didn't like how they said it. Whatever, grow up. That's your pride again. That's pride. Now, listen, I understand we ought to be careful how we share things. And, and truthfully, if you, don't have an, if you haven't invested in someone, then shut your mouth. Because honestly, they could care less what you think. I'm amazed sometimes somebody walks around church, you know, and, and they think they've got the perfect standards. And they're going to make sure that everybody has their standard. I've never met you before, but I want you to know you should have my standard. Shut up. Who cares what you think? You go ahead and invest in my life a little bit. You put a little bit into me. Then you go ahead and talk to me because I'll know that you care about me, not just about you. And what's going on? trying to live up to your standard. Most people that go around asking or saying those kind of things are miserable in their standards, so they want everyone else to be miserable. Paul the Apostle, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Again, I can't wait to share these three elements. And then we'll talk about seven things that you can do and seven things a pastor can do in light of this. Well, I'll tell you what, I think this is a big issue, and I think it's only becoming more of an issue all the time. And the reason it's become, and again, I'm not saying we're having all kinds of problems with that here in our church, but I'm saying this, it's becoming an issue because I'm seeing it everywhere. You see it in schools, you see it in, at workplaces, you see it at, in the home, you're seeing it everywhere today. Because no one is allowed to tell you you're wrong. And our pride is so big today, even in the church and amongst our own selves, We get so offended from the truth anymore. But boy, it's so much easier to point to a mere mortal and say, he or she is the problem. Instead of admitting the real facts, it's the truth. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord, for your love and grace in our lives. And Lord, help us, Lord, just to be open to uh, the truth. (laughs) And Lord, help us to 